We live in a world filled with signs. You know, we have stop signs that tell us to stop when we're driving. We have warning signs. We have the ubiquitous tag on our clothes and on different uh, materials that says uh, this product contains something known by the state of California to cause cancer. And even the words that I'm speaking to you right now are signs. They point to some reality. Uh, they point to some concept that points to in your mind that points to some reality. And if the words that I'm speaking are true, then the concepts and the reality and the words all align. Truth is just the conformity of the mind with reality. And uh, so if I if I say something that's not true, like purple polka dotted elephants exist, uh, then you would know I, I can have this concept of it, but it's not an actual reality. The words make sense, but the, the reality doesn't. But road signs and words are not the only type of signs that we encounter. Of course, we can think of a multitude of other human signs. Um, but even more deeply, we can, behind these human signs and the fact that we make signs, we find a more profound truth. As the Jesuit poet Gerard Manley Hopkins once said, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. The church is Teaching proposes this is true, that the physical world, though real and important, also points to a far deeper invisible reality and finally to God himself. St. Augustine noted this when he said that, that he got stuck in creatures instead of allowing the creatures to uh, take him to, uh, to encounter an encounter with the, the creator. Such a perspective reveals the deep meaning of the affirmation of the book of Genesis that we're made in the image and likeness of God. To be an image is to be a sign of some deeper reality, some other reality. You know, if you take a picture with your phone, um, you have an image, you don't have the reality, but you, the better the picture is, the better the image is, um, it, it, that whether an image is better or not is determined by how well it approximates that reality. In ourselves, then, body and soul, we're to read the goodness of God and to recognize his love for us and our call to participate in such love. In Eden, prior to the fall, this would have been transparently clear. The meaning of our body and soul, our entire person, would have been absolutely clear. But with the fall came a great difficulty in discerning the sign value of our bodies and souls. It's harder to do that because of the darkening of our intellect and the weakening of our will and the confusion of our emotions. Yet God still calls us. He still invites us. He still desires us to be signs of his love in the world for each other. Now, in the past couple of homilies, we've talked about how God calls us to, for holiness in the midst of a challenging world and how he calls us by name for a specific vocation. At the heart of every vocation is a call to love. We are called to give and receive love. And in so doing, we become a prophet like Moses. What's a prophet in the biblical sense of the word? A prophet is nothing other than a living sign. A prophet shows or tells some truth about God and his plan for his people. A prophet leads people to see reality as it is. He leads people to the truth. Sometimes in the Bible that involves gaining credibility by uh foretelling what will happen. But more often than not, it involves simply offering God's perspective, it, which is the true perspective on the world as it presently is. Now, 
after the Old Testament, when Christ came, um, he gave us two main wit ways that this prophetic witness uh, is lived in our Christian life. It's typically lived out in our Christian life. Those are marriage and celibacy for the kingdom. Now, before diving into how each of those offers a prophetic witness to the world, I want to acknowledge that there's probably people who are listening to this video right now who are neither married nor uh, consecrated uh, in a state of celibacy. This is okay. The state in which we all begin life, the state of singleness, is actually not a bad thing. It's a good state, in fact, and it's a state wherein we can become saints. There's no circumstance in which we can't uh, be holy. And this is the goal above all other goals in our Christian life, to be holy. If you're striving for holiness, then you are living out your baptismal call to be a prophetic witness to the world. You were baptized and you were anointed priest, prophet, and king. So keep living it out. Sometimes because of the circumstances, someone who wants to be married can never get married. Likewise, someone might like to enter a religious order or be a, a priest uh, or uh, engage in consecrated life and for some reason can't. And those are tough situations. None of what I am going to say about marriage and celibacy and what follows um, indicates that the single person is somehow less in the eyes of the church, much less in the eyes of God. Marriage and celibacy are paths for holiness in the kingdom of God. Um, and as a single person, you should, and while taking into account your circumstances, be open to the consecration for mission that comes through them. But as St. Paul tells us in the second reading today, don't be anxious about it. Follow the Lord and trust him. And don't be anxious. Um, be anxious about loving him, but not filled with anxiety uh, and, and rot because you're single. The Lord has a plan for your life. So with that being said, we should hold up marriage and celibacy for the kingdom as privileged ways in which... Uh, People are able to encounter Christ and people are able to give and receive love and as privileged prophetic ways of showing God's love for the world. So let's start with marriage. The prophetic witness of marriage, of sacramental marriage, is absolutely underappreciated in today's world. You know, for the most part, marriage is thought of as pretty much a contract between two individuals uh, to love each other for as long as they want and um, then they can be dissolved. But this isn't what marriage is. When I talk to couples who are getting married, I often begin with a series of questions. I typically ask them, why do you want to get married? And uh, they always answer the same, because we love each other. And that's good, right? If they didn't love each other and wanted to get married, there would be a problem in a certain way. And then, But then I ask them deeper questions. I say, what is marriage? What's the purpose of marriage? And often the answers that I receive, um, they, they kind of... Uh, lead us to a deeper conversation about how marriage is about both the good of the spouses individually and together, and as, as well for the procreation and education of children. And this leads us on to a deeper discussion about how those two things lead to the fruitful living of the sacramental dimensions of marriage. Marriage is a sacrament. Your marriage is a sacrament if you're married. And that's amazing. Consider, consider that, that your marriage is a sacrament. It's an efficacious sign of God's love. 
As married folks, you remind all of us of the great and passionate love that God has for each of us. A love that makes great sacrifices for the beloved. The love of the human bride and the bridegroom shows the love of the bridegroom, the bridegroom for his bride, the church. That's amazing. The cross is an act of nuptial love. St. Paul exalts marriage precisely with its many sacrifices as a sign of this love. If you want the companion to today's second reading, see Ephesians chapter 5. But you do more than reminding us of that love. You actually make it present in a particular way. As ones who are married, uh, because we believe that the sacraments actually cause grace in the world, you make God's grace present in a new way by uh, living your marriage well. This is the great dignity of marriage, your efficacious signs of God love, God's love. And that's amazing. If you're not married yet in the church, you're missing out on that sacramental grace. And I really encourage you to contact us and let's get that figured out. Let's figure out how to get you married in the church. With that beautiful call in mind, then why would anyone choose not to be married? Celibacy, the voluntary sacrifice of having a spouse and children seems very difficult in light of that call. It can actually only be understood in, in, in uh, because marriage is so good. And it can only be understood in light of Christ's new and definitive teaching, which he accomplishes through his entire life, his passion, his death, and his resurrection. You see, Jesus offers himself to the Father, um, and he thus shows us that only God will satisfy. This is the meaning of such an offering. The same passionate love represented in marriage is, in fact, the satisfaction of every human heart. The prophetic witness of celibacy for the kingdom is to point to this fact, that you and I will not be completely satisfied by anything other than God including that wonderful gift of marriage. Now, I've talked with a lot of married couples, and uh, any married couple who's been married over about 10 minutes uh, realizes that, yeah, they're not going to be completely satisfied by their spouse if they're, if they're paying attention. Um, it's a great, beautiful gift, but it's not enough. No human person can satisfy your heart completely. And my job as a celibate is to show that he alone is enough to satisfy, that God alone is enough to satisfy, and that he will indeed satisfy our hearts, that it's possible um, for him to do that. I remind people of heaven, uh, because in heaven there will be no marriage. The sign will have passed away, and only reality, though reality of God's love, will be present. If I'm doing celibacy correctly, my capacity to love opens ever wider. For in loving God... I learn how to love others as he loves. And this is what heaven will be like. When we're in heaven, that'll be our state. We'll be able to love God freely. We'll be fully alive. Fully alive. Celibacy is challenging, but so is marriage, because both are calls to love. They are calls to imitate Jesus in laying down our lives for others. And that's hard. The psalmist today says, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. And brothers and sisters, whatever your call in life is, whether it's to marriage or to celibacy, if you're a young person, I really encourage you to discern whether God is calling you to celibacy. There's a, there's a great gift there for the church, and we need priests and we need uh, religious sisters. But it's not out of necessity that I would encourage you to do that. It's because God is so good. He's so generous, and he is enough to satisfy. But whatever your call is, follow Jesus's prompting. If today you hear his voice, harden not your